The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Monday, March 25th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Of all the headlines, after the Mueller report hit, the one I didn't expect was one we got. Mueller TLDR'd by A.G. Bill Barr. You know, too long, didn't read. Is the bar letter a good summary or a misleading distraction? Do we, do we have to do either or? Can I do yes and? I am struck by the fact that Twitter, which is a medium of 280 characters, and cable news, a medium based on sound bites, and even print, a medium based on distilling often sprawling swaths of information to a palatable narrative, they're all emphasizing how little the bar letter tells us. But it does tell us no indictments. And that's huge. That really is the headline. Please, for the love of God, leftists, never Trumpers, Democrats, small d and large d, and all people of good conscience, for, for, for the love of God, absolutely take time to ponder and to process what the bar letter about the Mueller report means and 100% demand see the full Mueller report, but allow this that once you do, it very well may confirm the bar letter. It may well indicate that no reasonable prosecutor would have brought charges against Donald Trump for coordinating with Russia. Because right now it seems a lot of energy is pointing out all the ways that cooperation and coordination really could have happened. And it might have happened. But are you, if you're investing yourself in this narrative, are you replacing one dashed hope with another? I think so many people have not recalibrated expectations as to what the Mueller report was going to give them. Here is Stacey Abrams talking about the Bill Barr letter. I tend to think it's like having your brother summarize your report card to your parents. <laughs> we should be deeply suspicious Especially since he had 12 tardies and at least three times ditching class. Okay, but the implication is that the bar letter shouldn't be trusted. Of course, my curiosity doesn't end at the bar letter. Of course, we need to see the full report. But the headline finding is extremely meaningful. And I think whatever we do find in the more full Mueller report, even if it's more suspicious seeming dealings with the Russians, I do not think those revelations will be as important as the one we learned yesterday, which is, again, no chargeable offenses. From the reading I have done on doomsday cults, here's what always happens. The leader predicts the end of the world. The end of the world doesn't come. Hasn't so far. Hopefully the membership hasn't all off themselves in anticipation of the end of the world. And so then you would think the leader and the followers would sit down and say, whoa, got that one wrong. Time to recalibrate. Silly rationalists, you are not thinking like a member of a doomsday cult. The doomsday cult always comes up with a reason how their calculations were off or how they missed this or that sign or how maybe even their intervention prevented the end of the world. And then what do they do? They pick a new doomsday and they do the whole thing all over again, having learned nothing. It may well be the case, all right? It may well be the case that Trump really and truly did not coordinate and cooperate with Russia in a criminal sense. Not that we just didn't catch him, not that Mueller wasn't brave enough to pull the trigger, or that his bosses played him or quashed him. Maybe it's the case 
that the evidence as collected doesn't point to guilt. What a prosecutor would need to have to say guilt is likely. And you want to know something? I am okay if this is the conclusion. I'm not saying that it's over. Of course, we have to do everything we have to do to access the full report. But I'm worried that many on the righteously Trump-resistant left have constructed an unfalsifiable paradigm. The unfalsifiable paradigm is the road to poor reasoning. It's a thing of cults, not of intellectuals. So many frustrating pop theories and frames of today are unfalsifiable paradigms. From right-wing rhetoric on tax cuts and climate denialism to loony left claims about vaccines. But let us hope that the Mueller report can be a document where the dictates of reason obtain. But I wonder, I wonder, for instance, here was Joy Reid on MSNBC. But the the fact that that this investigation takes place within the Justice Department, which Donald Trump essentially controls, and that he got rid of the problem, Jeff Sessions, who the one decent thing that he did was just recuse himself. Mm -hmm. um, This guy is not recused. It feels like the seeds of a cover up are here. Oh, boy. Again, a lot of people are going to hear what I'm saying and they're going to think, Mike, we don't even have the full report. Mike, why would you preclude the possibility that the full report is extremely damning? I'm not doing that. Also, I I do know there is kind of a stages of grief thing going on. So maybe yesterday Joy Reid was denying and today she's on to bargaining. But I do think we should take the data points we have, this evidence, and take it into account, not spend all our efforts explaining away this a very plausible interpretation, not make the same mistakes of hope, expectation, infatuation, inflation, and then crushing disappointment. Luckily for us, Donald Trump is impeachable in so many, many other ways. He also happens to be defeatable in so many, many other ways by so many qualified candidates. This is the in case of collusion break glass cure, and that didn't happen. That doesn't mean that there aren't a million misdeeds and a surfeit of sins to stand firm against. At the same time, let's also all acknowledge that he is a shady, inappropriate, amoral, self-serving grifter who did not do the right thing when presented with a chance to collude, but also didn't go so far as to break the law. Quite possible, bordering on the probable. And it's going to be okay, I say, because Donald Trump is still terrible, and we will always have that. On the show today, more Mueller, more Mueller, or the bar version of Mueller, I guess we would say. And in the spiel, some useful analogies. But now an interview with a man who was once Robert Mueller's daily briefer, David Priest, is here to debrief us on what this all means. So joining me now is David Priest, who is the author most recently of How to Get Rid of a President. Okay, I think we know the answer is not by this report. David is also a CIA veteran, uh, an intelligence officer manager. He was the uh, daily intelligence briefer, sat knee to knee with Robert Mueller on for years and years and years, knows him in and out, and also the chief operating officer of the Lawfare Institute. Thank you for coming on again, David. Glad to be here again, Mike. So I guess this settles it, except for maybe the question of why didn't he interview Trump? Why didn't he interview the other Trump? Why didn't he interview Kushner? I thought he had the taxes. Is he going to, are other investigations going to charge anything else? How is it decided that Rosenstein and, and Barr would be the final determinants of if there was obstruction? So maybe it doesn't answer all the questions. What are your biggest unanswered questions right now? 
first of all, what is the Mueller report? We, we still don't know. People are talking about it as if, oh, the Mueller report is done. We know what was in it. We, we actually don't. There were only three substantive quotes from the Mueller report in the bar letter, and none of those were actually taken verbatim complete sentences. They were all truncated in some way. We don't actually know what Mueller found. We know what his top line conclusions were, at least in part. We don't know the complete sentences in some cases, but there's a whole lot of information that goes into there to say, well, what did he explore? What did he uncover? What did he find? And hopefully, why was it that they did not push to interview some of those people you mentioned? Those are all outstanding questions. Yeah. So you could look at the bar letter as a cliff notes, or you could look at it like the trailer for Kangaroo Jack, which made it seem like a fun kids movie, but it was kind of uh, darker and included violence. That's a deep cut on movie trailers, by the way. But yeah, let's let's get into some of the now questions. I'm picturing, I'm picturing yeah. kangaroo, a kangaroo with Bill Barr's face on it, which is not a good <laughs> image. So I'm going to get weedsy here, and then I'm going to pull out and ask you about process. Mm-hmm. So here is, here's a weedsy question. Why was and what could the explanations be for Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. not to have been questioned by Mueller and his team? It could be that there was enough information from other sources. And you have to remember, it's not just about interviews. That's the sexy part. That's the part we can imagine because mm-hmm. we talk to people. But Mueller had just incredible amounts of documents. He had incredible amounts of information from all sources. And it could be that he felt he had a good enough picture that he could establish from the documentary record things like state of mind or things that would not require an interview to, to show. So that that's possible. Can I just stop you there? If that were true and there are no charges, then he had good enough documentary evidence to show that the, these people had an innocent state of mind. Or it was that there was enough of an uphill climb to prove, to feel, and this is prosecutorial discretion, he did not feel that he could prove in a court of law a specific criminal act, even if that interview revealed something interesting. Now, I don't know how the thinking would go there, but there may have been enough reason to believe, no, they were acting stupidly, they were acting inappropriately. But based on the letter of the statutes, that there was nothing here in the underlying documentation to show that it was a corrupt, intent, explicit act. Again, let me interrupt you and say that it is possible that our understanding of the Trump-Russia Tower meeting is totally wrong. But I think a lot of people hearing this will just think about if it's what you say, I love it, right? We'll think about that. We'll mm-hmm. think about there was this uh, meeting with uh, with the with the Russian lawyer, and that alone, you know, how can you dis? How could you then? How many documents can you possibly show mm-hmm. that says, well, we'll put those two seemingly curious facts on one side, but we have all these documents that absolve the, the the state of mind that would explain there's a guilty state of mind with those facts. It just, that doesn't seem to add up to me. I what agree. Am I missing? And, yeah. I'm, and I'm not even sure it's there. I'm stretching for reasons because I right. want to hear from Bob Mueller. I want to hear right. what happened there. But let's be clear. the What was quoted from Bob Mueller in the bar letter was not no collusion. He did not say that there was no wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He said that there was no, and the words he used, he didn't use collusion, The words were conspiracy or coordination. Those are specific terms in the statutes. Collusion is not. There could be, in a sense, cooperation going on. But if it's not cooperation that meets the legal threshold for conspiracy or coordination, 
Then perhaps it was, yeah, that was inappropriate. Russia, if you're listening, release the emails, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't meet the criminal statute for conspiracy or coordination, he may have chosen that he couldn't move forward. Let me ask you about the process. We weren't exactly sure how it would work if Mueller would say, therefore, I recommend indictment or do what Mm -hmm. he did do, which is to defer to these two uh, figures, superiors, Rosenstein and and Barr. Were you surprised that that was that, that those were the rules of the game, as it were? I was a bit surprised, but I am also not sure that characterization is right. I am not sure that Mueller thought he was deferring to the attorney general and deputy attorney general. He may have been thinking, I am deferring to Congress because this is going to have to be a decision that takes place in Congress if, in fact, the only remedy is impeachment. If a president under DOJ guidance now cannot be indicted while in office, the only remedy to bad behavior on part of the president is impeachment hearings, impeachment investigations, ultimately an impeachment vote, and then a vote whether to remove the president in the Senate. Oh, okay. So to be clear, and maybe I didn't get this, it wasn't Mueller who said, therefore, I will allow these two superiors to make the choice. It was the two superiors who took the information, uh, knowing that he didn't, in the information, in his report, or from what we understand of his report, didn't make the rec- recommendation for criminal charges. And those two superiors, without the advice or consult of Mueller, decided not to indict. We, what we know is that the attorney general says in his letter that he and the deputy attorney general decided. That's what we know. Yes. We have no reason to believe that's not true because Rod Rosenstein probably would resign if words are being put in his mouth that were objectively not true. Mm-hmm. That's what we know. What we don't know is what Mueller said to the attorney general and the deputy attorney general, whether he simply passed the report without comment and said, here you go, do with it what you will, whether he said, I hope you don't weigh in on this, please pass it to Congress. Hmm. Or we don't know if he said, hey, guys, you know what? I, I did everything I could. I don't think there's a criminal charge here, but I'm, I'm not sure whether something happened or not. Why don't you guys look at this and d- tell the American people what you think in a public letter? Those are all open options. Literally, all we know is what Barr put in that letter. Even in his case, his motivations aren't clear, and that is why he's probably going to answer some tough questions in congressional hearings. What do you? What measures do you think Mueller will go through if this report really gets quashed and doesn't get, however he defines, a proper airing? I'm not in his mind. I have not spoken with him about this, but he is. He believes in the rule of law. He believes in following procedures and and systems that are in place. Uh, uh, that are just. Uh, I've, I've not seen him encounter one that he thought was fundamentally unjust, so I don't know what he would do in that case. But the system generally has worked. He was allowed, with, with a lot of talk about impeding the investigation and a lot of natural resistance to being interviewed and coughing up documents, that, that always happens in investigations. But he was allowed to pursue this investigation with integrity to conclude it with no evidence that any of his decisions were overridden because the attorney general is required by law to tell the leaders of Congress if, in fact, that happened. And there's no indication of that. Right. In the absence of that, that looks like he was satisfied with, to some degree, with the investigation that he, that he went through and that he concluded. If Bob Mueller believes in the rule of law, but the rule of law by letter of the law allows for great latitude to keep mm-hmm. portions of this report hidden, there is a possible tension there. 
And, oh, there's an absolute tension there, and, and it's and an ethical tension, dilemma that everyone faces. Right, and so case. I guess yeah. the, the tension is, if it's resolved to Mueller's satisfaction, where the public gets everything or almost everything it needs to know, I think you're right. He's not, he's not, doesn't seem to me, and you know much better, the kind of person who will, you know, go on a book tour. But I guess there's the question is, how will he define to his satisfaction? And if not, what then? Yeah, I don't see Bob Mueller writing a book about this. If he does, I'll I'll tear out the title page and eat it. Um, to me, to me, what is more likely is Bob Mueller is going to uh, dutifully follow any orders to appear and testify and to describe what he can without revealing information that is classified or is is under seal or has any other restriction on oh, it. Might his but testimony, think, but I'm sorry to interrupt, might his testimony go beyond if he determines I'm not violating grand jury, I'm not violating national security, I'm going to tell sure. you some things that Barr didn't seem fit, didn't see sure, fit to reveal, absolutely. he might do that, yeah. So just by asking the him. question, you could yes. get a ton of information. Yeah. Yes, there, there's nothing privileged about his deliberative process. There's nothing privileged about the conclusions right. he reached as long as in describing those conclusions, you're not revealing information that was solely from grand jury testimony. So I want to go back in my last set of questions to your book and the idea that you pursued how to get rid of a president. And if people mm -hmm. haven't read it, yeah, it does talk about impeachment. It also talks about assassination, but it talks about interesting ways, which is just kind of freezing him out and giving him the cold shoulder, kind of right. ghosting him. But the big one is that the at the ballot box is how to get rid of a president. So I want to ask you about this. Maybe to a lot of people, this seemed like a dud, but how much of it, how much of that perception is the emotional response that we knew so much already and we had built it up. And this is a two-part question. But let's say it is the emotional response and it feels like a dud even though it shouldn't mm -hmm. be. Isn't that really important electorally? <laughs> oh, absolutely it's important because we have this tendency to see major political issues as cage matches, right? As mm -hmm. this personality against this one. And this was being portrayed as Trump versus Mueller. And certainly the contrast in their personalities and their history and their service is striking. But the idea of having Bob Mueller prayer candles, you know, and having Bob Mueller merchandise because yeah. he was somehow going to be the hero of the Republic riding in on a white stallion and saving us from ourselves. Um, it's just comically bad. He had a limited role. He pursued it. Now, the narratives, I would love to see the polling on this, Mike, but I don't, I don't think the, the narratives have moved much. I don't think that you're going to see uh, point swings of more than a couple of percentage points either way in terms of whether the president is suited <laughs> yeah. for office, whether the president should be reelected. Right. I think the confirmation bias is just outstanding on right. this issue. It's all been priced in, and I can't imagine the person's like, look, I love kids in cages and the tariffs. It's no just kidding. that what if, what if Putin was a little too involved in getting us to that glorious place? Right on. One might say that, and, and I would say this, all Americans should be grateful with the conclusions on the criminal charges here because- Yes, you might want to see a criminal charge against the president, but there's no way that the president would be indicted according to current guidance. So, okay, let's say on the one hand, uh, alternate scenario, alternative scenario, we, we do have a Mueller report and the top lines are released and it says we are seeking to indict the president. He will remain uh, under seal or we have decided to indict the president anyway, despite DOJ guidance and DOJ agrees. Well, then you've got something even more nefarious that no American should want, which is active conspiracy and coordination going on by these people instead of perhaps just greed, collusion at a lower level of just 
hell yeah, well, let's try this. What could go wrong? We've never done this kind of thing before. You know, that's actually a better solution for the American people than if there were a deep, dark, true criminal conspiracy or coordination. So what do you what do you think, though, in terms of getting rid of a president? Do you think that this advances the effort, stymies the effort, or puts a new a, a new and different and perhaps bigger challenge before the American people. I mean, the American I people aren't getting off the hook. I was shocked by the instant uh, takes on it that, well, this takes impeachment off the table. Yeah. Well, it does in one sense, which is you had Congress yet again subcontracting out its work, its legitimate work to hold impeachment hearings. They've been just basically waiting for the Mueller report, thinking that was going to do the job for them. Well, some of the strongest cases for impeachment of the president aren't necessarily about whether there was a criminal coordination with Russia. It might have to do with many of these other cases that are going on. It might have to do with some information that has financial implications that violate elements of the Constitution. So impeachment is still on the table, but we just have to wait for the the courts to play out on these other issues. But that's only one way to remove a president. One of the other ways you talked about is, I think you said ghosting, and it's basically just boxing the president out. Well, with a House of Representatives that has subpoena power and is holding hearings and is seeking documents and bringing forward the attorney general, it's going to be a rough two years for this administration because a lot of presidential prerogatives might be boxed in, even if just a little bit, assuming the Senate doesn't go along with it. But then we go to the ballot box and we look at the primary way of removing a president the founders designed. Every four years, you get a chance to say you're fired. And there's a whole lot of evidence that the president has not made any gains since the last election in terms of widening the electorate. If you look at the numbers in the states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, they're not looking good for the president. So something is going to change between now and Election Day, no doubt. We're going to have some of the results of these other court cases. But I think when it comes to re-election, the president has given a lot of different reasons to a lot of different people to say that he should not have another term. And we probably will see a strong momentum to get rid of the president through normal electoral means instead of hoping for an impeachment. David Priest served during the Clinton and George W. Bush Bush's administrations as uh, at the CIA as an intelligence officer. In that capacity, he was the daily intelligence briefer to then FBI Director Robert Mueller. And his book about how to get rid of a president is out now. Thank you so much, David. Thank you very much. And now the spiel. You know the Mueller report wasn't even really a report. Right now it's a description of a report, a blurb of a novel, possibly written by a literary rival, an elevator pitch of a magnum opus delivered by some shady agent who might see it as more a three-webisode post than a full-blown HBO series. But the analogies do not end there, my friends. I will now give you at least half a dozen analogies about the Mueller report. This will help as you think about the Mueller report. So the first is a thought that I've heard expressed a few times, that this, the bar letter of the Mueller report, what we know of the Mueller report, it's actually good for America. Because you know what? It turns out that we don't have a president who colluded with a foreign power. I think this commits an ontological error. If the truth of the world is there's no corruption, then it is good to learn that that is indeed the truth, and it is good that the president wasn't in the pocket of Putin. But if that's not the truth, and we have a report or the letter version of a report, then it's bad that we think that. 
You see this formulation about it's good because it shows that the president was innocent. It relies on an existential truth that Trump really is not a Russian stooge. But the evidence that Trump is not a Russian stooge is dependent not on a judgment as to the question, but an assessment. Is there enough evidence to rise to likely conviction given our fairly robust set of parameters? There are different things, the reality and the chargeability. Let me give you an analogy. So a number of runaways have gone missing and the police issue a report and they say, we do not think this is the work of a serial killer. That's good because there's no serial killer out there unless there is a serial killer and the cops are wrong or they simply don't have enough evidence to charge that creepy loner who's been driving his panel van through the red light district. So moving on, this was a very, very good report for Donald Trump. But of course, Donald Trump took it too far. Let me read a direct quote from the Mueller report. While this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Cue something Trump said repeatedly. It was a complete and total exoneration. If he had only said vindication, he'd have some ground to stand on. Or actually, if he had only said any other word, if he had said it was a win or a slam dunk or a repudiation or a warm bath of Robert Mueller approval, any word except the one word that the report explicitly says it is not. Here's an analogy. This would be like if Tom Brady, upon steering the Patriots to their sixth Super Bowl victory, said... We have won six Super Bowls. They've all been by shutouts. We've never trailed in any game. And our coach is well-dressed. And our owner only engages in totally therapeutic massages. Why'd Trump have to say what he said? Oh, yeah, because he's guided by bullshit. On to the next analogy. I'd like to give grudging credit to Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow. <laughs> it's like an Oscar speech or something. You know, I have mocked Jay Sekulow. I have compared or analogized him to the newsman Muppet from The Muppet Show. And I have mocked Rudy Giuliani. He's like the Uncle Deadly Muppet. Look up that Muppet if you're trying to figure out which Muppet I mean. So those were unfair analogies. And I was reaching for Muppet comparisons, I realized, because I was trying to find some way to combat the cognitive dissonance that is often caused by the legal arguments presented by these two gentlemen. But let us put aside the legal arguments and realize the importance of one piece of advice they gave their client. Sir, do not testify under oath. Now, it doesn't take a legal eagle or Sam the Eagle to figure out that testifying could hurt Trump, but the triumph of Seculo and Giuliani was getting Trump to heed the advice. I'm surprised that Mueller didn't press the issue, but the president has gotten off in no small part because he didn't bait his own hook. I mean, think about this, by the way. If you were investing in attorney futures and they all came due today, March 25th, let's say a year ago, I quoted you a price on a Giuliani contract and then a price on an Avenatti contract. Wouldn't you be surprised about which one paid off better? Looks like Michael Avenatti is going to need a good lawyer. I do not recommend Jay Sekulow. Now that I have just complimented in Sekulow and Giuliani, a sexagenarian, a septagenarian, let us give kudos to Nancy Pelosi, who tomorrow will be one year away from being an octogenarian. Can you imagine... If Pelosi and Democratic leadership hadn't held the line and had given in to the more ravenous partisans in her caucus who advocated, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. <laughs> if Pelosi, Elijah Cummings, Jerry Nadler, Adam Schiff, if they had taken their cues from a very well-written Atlantic cover piece or taken their cues from the noisy progressives within their own caucus looking to wage war on the insufficiently radicalized Democrats, 
How bad would things be? Had impeachment proceedings started already? And this was the version of the Mueller report that gets out there? Man, the Democrats would have to do so much work to convince any member of the public who's not radicalized already that their thought process goes evidence leads to conclusion as opposed to conclusion searches out evidence. Here's the analogy. Nancy Pelosi is a member of the friend group who is not downing shots on New Year's Eve. She maybe sips one cocktail and watches as her friends get up and dance on the bar, but she knows how to bring them home. Nancy Pelosi is the dowdy financial advisor who says, maybe you should diversify. She's not the dude with the wraparound shades who yells Bitcoin. Nancy Pelosi's the designated driver. Now, our entire perception of the Mueller report is like a Russian doll, not the Netflix show, though I am sure that Manafort and Gates and Papadopoulos and Carter Page and Flynn would like to reset a certain day of their lives and start anew. By the way, I don't think Roger Stone would. I think he likes this uh, whole freakazoid Michigas. But by a Russian doll, I mean this. At the nub of what matters is the actual facts, what Trump actually factually did with the Russians. And then Mueller, next level, gives us his understanding and impression of those facts. And then Attorney General William Barr in his letter is another level removed, and he gives us his take on Mueller's take on what actually happened. And now we get to the outer edge of this nesting doll, a take on Barr's take of Mueller's take of what actually happened, these guys. Joining us now, a member of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman Mark Meadows, and ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan. And if you want to know... <sighs> so we get Representative Jim Jordan's impression of the bar letter, which goes basically like this. Mark's exactly right. 81 letters Jerry Nadler sent out because this wasn't the bombshell they hoped for. In fact, it was just the opposite, the Mueller report. So they, they're starting a whole new fishing ex- expedition. Fishing expedition. Well, yeah, Fisher Russian agents, and the pond is positively stocked with them. Please remember this. The Mueller investigation looked at two things. One, to what extent Russians interfered, and two, to what extent Trump was involved in that interference. Even though it seems to have concluded that Trump wasn't intimately coordinating with the Russians, it offered tons of evidence and indictments about the Russian lengths to hack our election. And further keep in mind that Mayor McCheese of Exoneration Nation over there, that your president did everything he could to shut down this legitimate and fruitful investigation into how the country he is in charge of was compromised by another mostly hostile country. Did I say Mayor McCheese? I think I may have meant Captain Crook, the long forgotten McDonald Land character who tried to steal a filet fish. And here's my last analogy. So in the interview with David Priest, I mentioned Kangaroo Jack. Here's an audio reminder. Kangaroo Jack. Love the jacket, Charlie. Nice. I said a hit. The hippie, the hippie to the hippie. So that was actually not about a cute talking kangaroo. It was a misleading trailer. But I was thinking about another kind of movie trailer, another analogy. You know the phenomenon we've all experienced of all the good jokes are in the trailer? It doesn't make the movie bad. It doesn't make it actually unfunny. It just makes the comedy fall flat and it makes it disappointing. I think something like that went on with the Mueller report. If Mueller had kept all his 34 indictments close to the vest, and then if he announced them all on the same day yesterday, and then if court proceedings across the country all started, they were all being convened today, it would seem like a deluge of terrible news for Donald Trump. From a legal standpoint, he needed to do it how he did it. But if the report were optimized for oomph rather than careful legal principle, we'd be hailing this report as unbelievably damaging to the president. We'd say, yeah, the president wasn't directly indicted, but how can he possibly survive? That's what 
the conversation would be. So rather like a thriller where the killer is identified in the poster, or yes, a movie trailer with all the good jokes, what actually is a powerfully damning document feels ordinary. And that is a shame. Not as big a shame as the Trump presidency up to this point, even with regards to Russia, but a shame nonetheless. I hope you enjoyed my analogies. Constructing them was a little like overseeing a process that took almost two years, interviewing 500 witnesses, issuing 2,800 subpoenas and resulting in 34 indictments, getting five guilty pleas, and leading to one big struggle over transparency. I cannot come up with the exact analogy for what that sort of thing would be. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Biennium and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. They both feel pretty burned by the trailer to Fargo, which led them to believe it would take place mostly in Fargo. TJ Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcasts, was misled by the trailer for Sweeney Todd, which barely included any singing, but also overemphasized the film's focus on pies to such a degree that TJ felt pretty stupid having taken crust and a crimper to the theater with her. The gist. So they gotta have an Audi, and therefore I am officially down to Renato Mariotti and Vincent Bugliosi as respectable Italian-American members of the bar. Umpru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>